The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Welcome to the Buddhist Society of Victoria uh, Monday Night uh, Guided Meditation. And this is Ajahn Sarano uh, again. Um, I'm the Australian monk who ordained with Ajahn Brahm about uh, 23 years ago, fully ordained, and spent uh, about 13 and a half years in Sri Lanka. And I'm now in Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And as usual, this evening we'll have uh, an introduction to, uh, to the meditation, then a guided meditation, and then we'll have a bell to signal the end of the meditation, and then time for your comments, questions, or complaints, as I say. So uh, we can begin this evening. And this evening I thought I would talk about something that is very uh, very common for meditators to experience. And in fact, it's very common for human beings to experience, and that is thinking, <laughs> thinking during meditation, but also when we deal with thinking um, during the meditation, we learn how to deal with it in life. Because sometimes in life it becomes overwhelming. We become obsessed with various thoughts that, that torment us. And um, I'm often asked about this subject because particularly people who um, are beginning meditation, they, they will say to me, well... I couldn't meditate, all I did was think. And I say to them, oh, well, that is an insight because you've realized what actually is going on most of the time. And in, in many ways, it's quite common for meditators to get into a battle with thinking and to, as it were, disturb the thinking <laughs> because they think that the, medita the thinking is a disturbance to the meditation. And of course, if we think that, it becomes a disturbance. And the thinking will just take us, you know, it'll, it, often people, when we are meditating, we often only aware after a while that we've been lost in thought for quite some time. But even that realization, that awareness, is mindfulness kicking in so that we come back to the uh, meditation, come back to the present moment and to whatever object we're using. And I like uh, Ajahn Brahm's simile that most of you will probably know. It's more of an example, really, because he usually has a cup when he gives this example. And uh, uh, he holds up the cup usually, or he gives the cup to someone to hold and ask them if they hold it really still, if they really still, see if uh, it stops moving the water. And the person usually said, no, it's, it's still moving, Bhante. <laughs> and then Ajahn Brahm asks them to put it on the table or on the ground. And then he asks them, is it still moving? He said, no, they're settling down, actually. And this is uh, how we allow thought to settle down. We put it, we, we let go of it, but this putting the cup down to, to bring, uh, to uh, settle whatever's in the cup, settle thinking, um, is something that uh, people often ask me, well, how do you put the cup down? How do you let go of thinking? 
And of course, this is a, something that uh, people have asked, uh, meditators asked the Buddha uh, over the centuries, for more than a thousand years. And of course, you know, when we, uh, when there's thinking occurring, um, especially when we think that we shouldn't be thinking, um, we obviously are getting into what Ajahn Brahm often calls second noble truth meditation, which is wanting whatever we're experiencing to be different from what it actually is at this moment. At this moment, there's thinking happening. And so if we um, realize that um, and we're at peace with that, of course, then it can um, reduce or disappear. So if we want things to be different than they are, of course, we're giving rise to suffering or unsatisfactoriness. And of course, it also, we ask ourselves, what do we expect from meditation? This is, this is usually the form that wanting takes. You know, we think, well, you know, meditation, there shouldn't be any thinking. It should be really peaceful, if possible, blissful. <laughs> and there should be deep, uh, deep insights occurring. So in actual fact, as I mentioned before, you know, is the thinking really disturbing us? Or are we disturbing the thinking? Um, because when we think, when we reflect about thinking, um, you know, we think. Well, we realize it's 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 a habit. It's something that we have uh, been doing uh, from very young days. You know, probably I don't know whether children have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> they don't seem to, but uh, maybe. But it's something that we've developed and into a habit, and it's something that comes very naturally. And thinking, we, we tend to think of thinking as something useful um, at times. It can be useful, of course, for problem solving and things like that, and for looking at issues that uh, we need to deal with, getting a different perspective on it. So thinking does have its advantages, but part of the reason that we I feel that we uh, think so much, we are preoccupied with thinking, is that we're afraid of silence. <laughs> and, and you see this in uh, social situations, don't you, where people, uh, we feel we need to say something. Uh, we can't just be silent. It seems too awkward to be silent. And of course, you know, this thinking is um, you know like this we're breaking the silence we're talking to ourselves we're describing what's going on or what we're experiencing and it's like this running commentary that we um, we have for the whole of, for whatever we experience and so when people get close to uh, or get into deep meditation you know these uh, the jhanas or even getting close to it. This fear can arise when the thinking completely disappears. And that's a wonderful thing to experience um, when the thinking disappears and it, then the mind is so quiet. But some people will find that frightening. <laughs> and why is that? Because the sense of themselves feels very threatened. And certainly, you know, deep meditation can bring up that fear. And it reminds me of that uh, um, saying by René Descartes, I think, therefore I am. 
And for him, that was a proof that he existed. You know, if somebody doubts or thinks, then they therefore they exist. But in reality, it's just thinking happening. <laughs> and the I is a bit of an assumption, actually, or an inference. But the other things that cause us, you know, cause thinking, particularly in meditation, but in life too, are the five hindrances. We think so much about um, things, sensory desire, we call it, you know, thinking about the experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. Or, you know, we we focus on the um, uh, on feelings of ill will, you know, if we're upset with somebody, if we're upset with ourselves, then that will generate a lot of thinking. And of course, uh, uh, when we are tired, when we have drowsiness and dullness, you know, the mind can just want to sort of um, veg out from this <laughs> all this thinking and go into dullness as an escape. And when restlessness and uh, worry, they would liken that to slavery, like a being a slave, because we get no peace from uh, this restlessness, which is always looking for something to satisfy the mind and uh, not being able to settle on one thing just keeping moving all the time. Or worry, worrying about what we've said and done um, in the past. And of course doubt um, is, a, is a very strong generator of thinking. Doubt, particularly in meditation, we can doubt we're doing it right. You know, maybe, or we're remembering the instructions and we think, well, should I do that? Or should, should I do what this other person, this other teacher um, advised and so on. So doubt can come up. Um, in and create a lot of thinking and of course you know as I mentioned if we value thinking we will really um, encourage it actually we'll see we'll encourage it and as I mentioned it sort of has an entertainment value for us you know when nothing's happening we tend to you know just think about the past or think about the future and I liken this to um, when we go to a doctor's surgery or a dentist's surgery and uh, they have all these magazines and we just flip through the magazines to just to entertain ourselves. So part of the, the uh, point of meditation is to make the meditation object more interesting, more attractive and stronger than the thoughts because that's why we tend to think in meditation is because thoughts seem more interesting than the meditation object. And so we can have many supports for the uh, meditation. And uh, I know Ayakima used to call them these, you know, she had about five supports for meditation. And I would talk about some of those supports. But as always with meditation, the attitude we bring to it is, is, is a crucial, really. It's the same with life. No different, really. And uh, when it's uh, difficult to uh, meditate because of thinking or um, we find that the mind is preoccupied with it, we need to bring up this sort of, not to get into a fight with it, not to get into a battle with it, but rather bring this sort of mind of acceptance and uh, kindness towards the thinking because otherwise <laughs> we will get into a battle with it. We'll have aversion for it and we'll be trying to get rid of it. And this, of course, is the second noble 
second noble truth meditation instead of third noble truth meditation, which is making peace with it, Um, uh, making peace with things as they are, realizing that this thinking has come from causes and conditions because I've been, been thinking most of the day, we think half the night, this thinking will occur when we are meditating. So it's very useful to uh, to make the uh, meditation more attractive than the thinking, um, is to combine a very positive feeling uh, emotion with the meditation object. And this is something I encourage a lot. I do a lot, actually. And so now I'd just like to uh, briefly uh, mention um, some of the methods the Buddha recommended in the uh, sutta called The Removal of Distracting Thoughts. And this is uh, Majjhiminikaya, number 20, middle-length discourse, as they call it, uh, number 20. And he, he um, pointed out five methods that were very useful for overcoming thinking, uh, which was connected, as he says in this sutta, with desire, aversion, and or delusion. And the first method that the Buddha recommends is substitution. This is what Ayakima translates it as, substitution. And his, his uh, simile for that is like a carpenter who's knocking out a grosser peg in, in, in wood when there's, there's some sort of uh, peg in the wood, pushing it out with a finer peg. Um, and I liken that to changing the subject or changing the focus, or people can think of it as changing the channel, <laughs> like on the TV. And we're changing to something more positive and more wholesome. And I think of that sometimes like when we eat something that's bitter or sour or spicy, then we can uh, eat something else to reduce or remove that flavor. And something sweet if it's bitter, um, or you know if something's very spicy, then something very plain. But one of the ways we, some of the ways we can substitute uh, uh, for these, for the thinking, for the unwholesome thinking. Of, uh, associated with desire, aversion, and or delusion, is to give the mind some work, and this way it has less opportunity to think, and it brings about a more wholesome um, states of mind. So the first one, one of the ways we can do it, and we'll do it during this guided meditation. Some of these methods is following the breath. Um, and this is a technique that Ajahn Chah used, you know, where you uh, follow the breath from the nose to the chest to the stomach, from the stomach to the chest to the nose. And you do that until the mind settles down. And also he encouraged, uh, you know, if there was a lot of thinking, to take a deep breath and then to go back to the uh, meditation object. And then, if it happens again, then to take a deep breath. Because this really settles, breathing really settles the mind. And of course, the other ways, other things that are very useful useful for substituting are mantras. So we can have um, the traditional one, Buddha, or peace, or making peace, or letting go on the in-breath, 
and on the out-breath. And you can even have these mantras without the breath, just have that mantra in mind. So that's another way we can substitute, give some work to the mind. Substitute the thinking (laughs) with this uh, mantra, give attention to that. Because the Buddha says, whatever we pay attention to, that becomes uh, the focus for the mind, that becomes the preoccupation for the mind. And other techniques, these are ones that Ayakema used uh, quite a lot, was counting the breath. So you can count the breath, uh, the in-breath one and the out-breath one, in-breath two and the in-breath, out-breath two, up to ten. And then, this is very tricky, (laughs) you can start at nine, nine on the in-breath, nine on the out-breath, and go down to one and then start at one and go up to eight, and so on. It's a, a torture, really. I, I, I'm not particularly keen on counting. But mantras, okay. And also you can have visualization. So you make the breath or the object, whatever the object is, more interesting by accompanying a visual image with it, like um, waves coming into the beach and, and then going out to the sea with the breath coming in and out, things like that. Or even um, spaciousness to, to visualize a panorama and then allow the mind to, like a beach, like a desert, like looking at the sky at night, um, being uh, on a hill uh, with a very big view in front of you. And then when the mind is wide like that, it doesn't tend to focus on the thoughts. So the thoughts, um, the attention's not given to the thoughts, the mind is much wider. And it's a bit like having a hand that's closed and then opening it, and uh, so that it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's relaxed and then the focus is open. And of course, you know, if the, the substitution, we can also change meditation objects if it's really... Um, uh, we find that it's not working, say with the breath, we need something a bit more uh, that, that holds the attention more. And it can be scanning or metta or, or um, buddhanasati, those sorts of things, even chanting. And if we want to, we can change the meditation to walking meditation. That's quite, quite a good one. So that's uh, what, how the, what the Buddha talked about in terms of substituting. And his second method was to see the disadvantages of thought. And he said, he used a very strong simile, he said it's like a young, young uh, man or woman who is very fond of their appearance, and then they notice that they've got a dead, the carcass of a dead dog or a snake around their necks. And he said, this is what thinking is like. I don't know that many people think of thinking like that, but it's a very strong image. Um, but it is useful to use this sense wisdom power, really, to think, to realize that thinking is not reality, it's just a description or an approximation of it, and that we can know things without thinking. That's, that's what uh, meditators discover. Most people, many people think that uh, you can only know something by thinking about it, but in actual fact, the mind can know things without thought, and it is much more present and much more uh, um, uh, alive 
and three-dimensional. And also we can see the advantages in not thinking. Um, that uh, see the advantages in not thinking that's of, of, of enjoying silence. But we're not used to silence, so we try to fill it up usually. But if we uh, become used to silence, we can, we can realize how pleasant it is and enjoy it. So that is another method that the Buddha mentioned. And the third one he mentions is forgetting the thoughts, forgetting the thoughts or not paying attention to them. And uh, he has the simile, the Buddha uses the simile of like looking the other way when you don't want to see someone on the street or closing one's eyes. That could be dangerous if you're walking. But um, so this is a way of ignoring, in a sense, or not paying attention. And when we're meditating, and, you know, there's a lot of thinking, we can visualize erasing or rubbing out the thoughts. <laughs> as long as we do it without ill will, and or imagine using a delete button, like on the computer, and deleting it, marking it and deleting it. That can be a useful sort of uh, way of um, thinking of it also fun. And the, the Buddha also mentioned slowing down the thoughts, uh, using, again, we're using wisdom power to ask why are these thoughts occurring? Uh, why, why, and, and not, because uh, usually we, we think, why am I thinking this? Um, but really, the, the question should be, why are these th thoughts occurring? Because when we uh, when we think of these thoughts as our thoughts, my thoughts, um, then we get taken up with them. We can't get a little bit of distance from them and can't investigate them and can't see that the, these, these thoughts that are coming up, they're coming up because of causes and conditions from the past. And uh, when we have this approach of we can stand back a little from thinking, and then uh, when our thinking is happening, it's a bit like when we overhear conversations on a bus or a train or the neighbor speaking to somebody next door. Then it's not so important. Then we don't take it so personally. Of course, it depends on what... If they're speaking about us, that may not be the case. <laughs> but we can usually feel a bit of detachment when other we overhear somebody else's conversation. So when we, this is a method for uh, slowing down the thoughts. And also we can ask, what is the source of these thoughts? And um, we can trace them back and see what thought was led to the thought that I'm experiencing now and what was the thought before that and so on. And it's really interesting to see that. I know I and Kima used to do that quite a bit. And you just see how the mind jumps around. You're thinking about a cup of tea and then we'll go to the newspaper yesterday and or something like that and jump all over the place. It's very interesting to see and we learn a bit about how the mind works too. And uh, the Buddha uses this simile about slowing down thinking. The simile he uses is for a person who's running and then they think, why am I running? Why don't I walk? And then they're walking they think, well, why don't I sit down? And uh, then, uh, then they think, well, why don't I lie down? And they do. <laughs> so it's gradually slowing, slowing down the thinking by investigating it. <laughs>
And the last method, this is number five, and and because it's number five, it's the it's the last resort, you could say. And this is using willpower, and the Buddha calls it uh, crushing mind with with mind. It sounds pretty awful, doesn't it, really? <laughs> but it's using uh, something, a positive uh, uh, emotion or mind state to overcome an unwholesome mind state. And it's like, you know, we and I have seen it myself, you can say no to some of the, you can tell some of these negative mind states where they're going to go. <laughs> And you can say no to them. It's quite quite amazing when you when you do that. And uh, the Buddha used the image of a stronger person pinning down a weak person on the ground, which doesn't <laughs> doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. So this is the last resort. Substitution is much better. And just to finish now is to also for thinking. One, as I mentioned, you know, we can get caught into thinking in meditation, particularly as a method for problem solving um, and this is not the best way to use the meditation um, because we think you know if we um, think about things we'll figure them out but often um, we can find we just go in circles in loops and a better a better solution to that is to say to the mind later and then after the meditation when the mind is has a bit of strength a bit of peace then uh, to uh, look at the problem and maybe an answer will come up, pop up in the mind, sometimes very surprising what can come up in the mind. And so, as Ayakima used to say, you know, whatever works is the right method for you. You can try some of these methods in your meditation when you have a lot of thinking. But as I say, you know, the attitude is probably the key. <laughs> if we don't uh, get into a battle with thinking, then it will subside. And, you know, the, the energy uh, that's feeding it can uh, reduce and it can disappear. As I mentioned in meditation, when it does disappear, it's quite an uh, impressive experience of silence. So now we can... Uh, have a guided meditation for about uh, 40, 45 minutes. So uh, if you'd like to find a comfortable posture on a, on a chair or a cushion, um, however you like, um, and keeping, uh, the, uh, keeping the back reasonably straight but not, uh, not rigid, everything should be as relaxed as possible. And then we can come into the present moment And we can take three deep breaths. This helps, this helps to clear the mind and we can check out how the body is now. Is the posture comfortable? And we can make any adjustments to the posture. We can move the shoulders or the arms just to release any tension. And to check if the head is over balanced over the shoulders. 
maybe even tucking the chin in a little if that's, that's comfortable. And then to check if the shoulders are balanced over the hips. And the hands can be resting in our laps or on our legs, however we find comfortable. Just being with the body and seeing what it needs. And we can remind ourselves that during the meditation to have this attitude, to bring up this attitude of making peace with thinking or whatever we're experiencing. Um, accepting it, this is really what making peace is, accepting it and being kind to it. Not getting into a battle with it. And now we can relax the body mentally, starting at the top of the head. We can bring to mind the top of the head, the sides of the head and the back of the head and relax and soothe that area like we're putting a balm or we're giving a mental massage applying some heat or warmth to relax that area, top of the head, the back of the head, sides of the head. And we can move our attention to the forehead and relax and soothe that area, the forehead. Then moving the attention to around the eyes, allowing them to relax, soothing them, allowing that tension, any tension, to dissolve. And then moving the attention to the cheeks of the face and around the mouth and chin, relaxing and soothing them, those areas. And bringing to mind the neck and Relaxing, soothing, mentally massaging the neck, all around the neck, down to the shoulders. And 
Now bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck, and we can move our attention along the right shoulder, this warm, kind, relaxing attention, allowing the burdens of the day, the tensions in, in the right shoulder, to dissolve, to relax, soothing them with this warmth, this kindness. Now we can bring to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving our attention all the way down the right arm, all around it, to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers with this warm, relaxing mental massage. Now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck, slowly moving our attention along the left shoulder, giving it this warm uh, balm, soothing the left shoulder, the aches and pains, the tensions, soothing with caring and kindness. And now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the top of the left shoulder and moving the attention down the left arm, all around the left arm to include the elbow, the wrist, the hand and fingers, giving it this kind, warm, relaxing attention.
Now bringing to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention down the back, soothing any painful areas, any hard areas, tight areas, uncomfortable areas, giving this a mental balm, this warmth and relaxation to the back, slowly moving down the back. And now bringing to mind the front of the body, just below the shoulders, and moving our attention down the front of the body to include the chest, diaphragm area, the stomach, and the abdomen, with this warm, relaxing attention, soothing any painful areas, any tight areas, any areas of pressure, Soothing them and relaxing them with his kindness. Now bringing to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg, all around it to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes. And giving the right leg this warmth, kindness, this mental massage.
Now bringing to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention down the left leg, all around it to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes. Soothing them, relaxing them, being kind to them. Now we can just sit with the whole body, just sitting here, seeing how it feels, just with the present moment, experiencing whatever's coming and going that we're aware of, sounds, feelings in the body, the breath whatever we are aware of, temperature, And when we, the breath comes to our attention, we can follow it, follow the breath from the nose to the chest to the stomach and back again from the stomach to the chest to the nose. And just keep following it until the mind and the thinking settles down and we can let go of following the breath and just be wherever we're aware 
of the breath most prominently.
And if we find thinking is coming up, we can try taking a deep breath, which will allow the thinking to subside temporarily. Or we can think of a panorama, a view, of a 180 degree view or more, on a hill, or looking at the sky at night, or at the beach, seeing the ocean, or in a desert, and for allowing the mind to become spacious like that view, and see if that allows the thinking to reduce and disappear.
And now we're coming close to the end of the meditation, so we can share this feeling uh, of making peace, of accepting things, of being kind, with all those that are listening to this live streaming. Wishing that they may have more of this kindness, acceptance and peace in their lives. And expanding this feeling of making peace or of peace we've developed in the meditation in ever-widening circles around ourselves. Expanding it further and further to cover the whole of where we are, the city, the country, the whole world. And then for all beings, all types of beings, animals, insects, reptiles, birds, all beings and all unseen beings in different realms, sharing this feeling of peace, of making peace, of acceptance and kindness. can just review the meditation, ask ourselves how we feel now. Do we, uh, do we feel more peaceful or accepting or kind? And were we able to make peace with the thinking or whatever we experienced? And what helped us to let go of thinking? <laughs> and what did we learn from our experience? And we can develop the aspiration, the intention, 
to really value silence in the mind whenever possible and to enjoy it. And at other times we can make peace with thinking. And now I will ring the bell three times, then we can slowly come out of meditation and open our eyes. And so I hope you were able to make peace with thinking or with whatever you're experiencing. And in this way, train the mind to be able to let go of thinking, particularly when we find it's giving us no peace, no rest. And well, so this, so that we are developing meditation, third noble truth meditation, making peace with uh, whatever we're experiencing, not wanting to get rid of it, instead of second noble truth meditation, which is what many people do in meditation, where they try to get rid of what they consider to be an obstacle to the meditation. And of course, it's an invitation to develop skillful means to accept things, to make peace with what has arrived in this moment. And thereby allow it to change in the next moment. So I hope that has been uh, useful for you. And if there are any comments, questions or complaints, now we can um, deal with those or respond. So Chinlok, who's operating, <laughs> who's doing the live stream. Thank you, Ajahn. Yes, yes, we have received one question. One question, so oh, that's good. But it could be more coming. Yep. So the first question is, to practice right speech, oh, right speech, do I have to ponder or think too much before I speak? Ah, right. To practice right speech, do I have to ponder or think too much uh, before I speak? No, not necessarily. The Buddha encourages us to reflect, yes. We don't necessarily have to um, reflect in terms of thinking. He encourages us to uh, to reflect whether this is uh, something that's harmful or beneficial to us. And sometimes that gets, that's more of a feeling, really, rather than a thought. Um, and the same, he also encourages us to reflect whether this is coming from a positive uh, motivation or a negative motivation. And again, you get a feeling for that. And then also uh, the consequences of our speech. You know, of course, we're not in meditation then, so so, so uh, thinking is is part of it. But to to see if the consequences were pleasant or unpleasant, 
And many of these uh, ways of uh, um, determining or, or reflecting to see whether our speech, what we're about to say or what we're saying or what we have said is a right speech is based on the feelings, the states of mind that we've brought up. These are the emotions, really. And often I think they're a much uh, better indicator of whether something's wholesome or not. Sometimes our thinking can make something that is uh, is not correct seem correct. <laughs> so I think if you follow um, the second factor of the Noble Eightfold Path in terms of uh, seeing whether something is coming from um, getting and gaining, coming from ill will, coming from harming, uh, or whether it's coming from letting go, giving, um, whether it's coming from kindness, loving kindness, friendliness, or from being helpful, compassionate. You know, and that way you can gauge. I think it's a some ways it's a more reliable way to gauge when we see the feeling that's associated with um, the mind state we're experiencing. So, yes, right speech is a big area. And, uh, you know, of course, when we are meditating, um, we don't need to, <laughs> to be so concerned with right speech because uh, we won't be um, speaking to anyone else, we may be speaking to ourselves mentally. Um, so when we are meditating, often we say speech is not a problem. <laughs> speech is not a problem. So, uh, but it's very useful, as I say, when we are engaging in speech, just to notice the feeling that's going with it, whether it's a negative or a positive feeling because that will be a good indicator of whether it's right speech or not. So I hope that's a, um, a guide. Of course, you know, with right speech, it's a whole of the Noble Eightfold Path, isn't it? It's a right view, you know, because right view takes in uh, karma particularly, you know, that there are uh, consequences of our good and um, bad actions of body, speech, and mind. And then the right intention that, as I mentioned, or motivation um, is flowing from that uh, uh, right view. And then, of course, you have the speech, and you have the uh, right action, right livelihood. And, of course, the uh, right effort, just knowing if something is wholesome or not, uh, and to be able to avoid or let go of unwholesome or negative states of mind and develop positive ones um, and maintain them. Uh, that's uh, pretty much um, our the focus for our spiritual development. And then to have that mindfulness that's aware of what we're saying, speaking, <laughs> what we're doing what we're and what we're thinking or what we are, are aware of in the mind. And then, of course, the samadhi, the one-pointedness of the mind that can develop, that gives us the power to really see deeply into, not into the mind itself and into the nature of life. So this is all uh, part of uh, the Noble Eightfold Path, right speech. So I hope that sort of answers your question about right speech. And... Uh, now, if there are any other comments or questions,
That's it. Yes, we have a few more questions. Oh, really? Oh, okay, right. next I one. I thought I was going to get the, to end early. <laughs> when I try to focus on my breathing, mm -hmm. I find that I end up modifying my or controlling my breathing. Yeah. Could you please advise? Yes, okay. I've heard that. Uh, I've heard that um, from a number of people, and uh, um, it can it can be unpleasant too that experience because you know it it probably indicates the tendency we have you know to try and control things, um, and it may be that uh, especially if we've had difficulty with breathing at all, that can be a, a tendency. So in those situations, it's very useful to have this feeling of um, making peace, of accepting. You know, the opposite of accepting is rejecting, isn't it? And so we can easily see when accepting is a kind uh, emotion. It's a, the emotion of, I say, the emotion of equanimity, you know, when the mind is very balanced. But kind, but kind, and so uh, this, you know, when when you uh, when you're experiencing this, um, maybe controlling or tension with the breath, bringing this attitude will help, and also um, relaxing, relaxing, because the mind is, um, as it were, uh, over attending, over focusing, and that's probably giving rise to this feeling of controlling or even tension and at those times maybe this um, visualization of the panorama you know just uh, uh, visualizing an incredibly wide view and bringing the mind allowing that to come into the mind and the mind to become just like that view wide may help you with uh, not uh, controlling the breath may help you to relax because basically it's relaxing isn't it um, and so that that could help um, and maybe you know even with that uh, attitude you could breathe in making peace and breathe out making peace I didn't do it during this uh, meditation but that's possible too anything that can relax the mind um, uh, to allow it to you know, not to oh, not to overfocus, not to give too too much pressure or controlling to the breath, not interfering with the breath. So uh, there's some suggestions anyway. You can try it and see. Thank you for that. Yeah. Next question, Ajahn. Yes, um, my mind was quiet. I think maybe listeners was referring to it during the meditation. Mm -hmm. Oh, but the state I experienced felt yeah. sleep-like and heavy. But at the same time, I was aware of this most of the time. Can you please explain about this kind of experience? Yes, yes. I think, uh, yes, I think every meditator <laughs> probably experienced that. The varying degrees of, you know, tiredness in the body and the mind. But sometimes that tiredness can be just quite useful because it just keeps you, you're on the verge of going into dullness or, or you know, real drowsiness. And, um, but the attention is quite, um, is still there. So that, that can be um, okay. But of course, if it slips into real drowsiness, then and uh, dullness, then you, then the, the the mind has, as it were, 
tuned out for a time. But usually there's not uh, not a great worry with that because after the it's rested, the mind uh, and the body will sort of become more alert. And to, to a large degree, it's quite natural if people have been busy during the day, that then they come and sit down and uh, close their eyes and then <laughs> and then feel feel very uh, sleepy or tired. That's very natural. If you've been busy during the day, that's quite a natural outcome. But if you feel that you've been aware and that the mind has hasn't has been following what's going on, that's that's a good sign. But you know there are varying degrees of awareness, as I say, and the brighter the mind is, of course, the um, the better, you know, because the attention, the interest is there, um, the energy is there. But um, but never mind. I think uh, sometimes when the mind is a little dull, it can be very peaceful and it can be still alert enough to to know what's going on um, and calm. So. I think this is can be um, okay, okay. So thank you for that question. When frustration arises mm. during meditation, mm. I tend to get more frustrated. Mm. What is a good way to break this cycle? Mm. Oh, that's right. Yes, frustration, of course, is you know just one of the the many forms of ill will. <laughs> frustration, irritation, annoyance, you know and more extreme anger and uh, all these things. So if we are getting frustrated during the meditation, it's obvious that, you know, we we want something else. We're frustrated because we're not getting what we want. And this is, just as I mentioned before, uh, before, you know, this is second noble truth meditation. It's the cause of suffering, cause of unsatisfactoriness. So... In meditation, I mean, when we, when, when you experience this uh, frustration, you uh, perhaps you could ask yourself, why am I frustrated? What am I frustrated about? What is it I want? That's what I mentioned, I think, before. What is it I want? Um, because then you can be aware that the mind is trying to get something. <laughs> and we get frustrated when we don't get what we want. And, of course, this is, you know, the whole the crux, the uh, the pivotal point of the Four Noble Truths. Because once we see that, you know, uh, then we can let go of the wanting it to be other than it is at the moment and bring up a mind that accepts it. You know, this is frustration at the moment. It doesn't feel um, pleasant, but, uh, you know, I can let it be. I can... Uh, uh, not do anything to it, not try to get rid of it. Because the more we try to get rid of it, that's feeding this energy of frustration, feeding this uh, negativity in the mind. So it's very important if we can um, let, let it just be, accept it as it is, not reject it. Because frustration is rejecting you know, it's rejecting what we're experiencing because it's not what we want, <laughs> and that's and that is because meditation is not about getting anything. It's about letting go of all these negative states of mind. These are called the hindrances. And once we actually let go of them, then the mind will become peaceful. It's like that cup. You know, I mentioned Ajahn Brahm's simile of the cup. When we put the cup down, it will settle. And uh, that's uh, that is a 
image for it will let the frustration settle if we just put it down and uh, even we can just look on to look on at it look on just at that state of mind not taking it personally because this is one of the things uh, we often say i'm frustrated but really what you're experiencing is there is frustration in the mind and if you can just watch it let it be be kind to it it will go by itself. But it's very, very important that <laughs> this kindness, this letting be, is not like a bargain. I will let you be. I will be kind to you if you go. That is not letting be. That's not being kind. That's not meta. That's uh, that's like a, a, a business deal. It's actually really a version in another guise. It's just... Um, it's not real letting be, it's not real kindness, not real acceptance. So it's tricky stuff, isn't it? But, you know, whenever, whatever we experience in the meditation, it is an opportunity to learn. I know most of the time we think, well, this is a real obstacle. If I, if I could get rid of this, I could really meditate. But really, that is the teaching, that is the insight we need, is to deal with this frustration in the meditation. And then when we are able to deal with it and really really to see that when we um, have this frustration, um, we are actually, you know, the mind is being poisoned by this emotion, uh, this feeling, and uh, it's, it's something that we don't want to encourage. But also if we learn to deal with, handle this frustration in the meditation, it also means we have the ability to deal with it um, better in in our daily life as well. So it's a it's a real training, and it's something well worth learning. These five hindrances that I mentioned, they are our training ground, <laughs> and that's where we're developing our wisdom: how to deal with them in a way that's wholesome and positive. How to deal with them in a way that uh, doesn't increase them and allows things to pass away and to deal with them in a way that we see the causes what's bringing these things up causing them to arise because once we see the cause we can as it, uh, let go of that cause we know what to where to put our attention and of course the cause as i mentioned before is this wanting to get rid of it <laughs> It's either wanting to get something or wanting to get rid of it. And when you see that, when you address that cause by acceptance, not rejecting, um, uh, then with kindness, not unkindness, not aversion, um, then it will go by itself. That energy can subside. The cup can be put down. So this is a, it's an important lesson for the meditation, for your development and meditation but also for life as well as i say the meditation is really like reconditioning the mind so that we can use these qualities we develop we can use these with the wisdom we develop in our daily life as well so i thank you for that question i hope that made it a, was helpful yes no more question Ajahn. no more question oh. there is a Small request from one of listener. Yeah, one listener. Imagine can end the session with a with a small chanting. Small chanting. Yes. Yes. Little chanting. 
Oh, right. Yeah. She hasn't mentioned anything specific. Specific, yeah. No, I can, I can. And we, of course, we'll do uh, the, to finish, because it's a recording too, we can do the Arahang. But I'll do a blessing just at the end. I'll do it in English for um, for those uh, who are not familiar with the Pali language. May you abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will, in freedom from anxiety, and may you maintain well-being in yourselves. And now we can finish off. It says nine o'clock, so that's exactly it. Right. With the Arahang. If you know that, that's good. You can join in. Arahang Samma Sambundo Bhagawa Bhundhang Bhagawantang Abhiva Demi Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo Dhammang Namasami Supatipano Bhagavato Samwaka Sanko Sankang Namami Sadhu 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 And thank you for participating this evening and see you next time, if there is a next time. (laughs)